Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. The world I live in is temporary. It's in the process of passing away. Don't place your time and your value on these temporal things. We're always tempted to do that. We should have a light touch on the things of this world. You see, our citizenship, Peter tells us, is not here. It's in heaven. Don't get tangled up with all the things of the world. Yes, we have to have a home and a car and businesses and all those things, but don't place the value there. Spend your time with people, with family, friends. Death is a subject that very few people like to discuss, yet it's one that we all have to deal with eventually. Think about the things you spend time on or think about over the course of a week. Is it mostly errands or projects, temporary goals? We all have responsibilities and goals in life, things that have to be done. But when the balance between the now and the eternal becomes one-sided, it's time to refocus. If you're investing a lot of time and energy in this passing earthly life, start making it a practice to connect with Jesus. The more you make yourself available to Him to nurture your spiritual life, your focus will shift to things eternal and lasting. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verse 1, for part one of our message entitled, How to Survive in Difficult Times. How to live in difficult times. One morning I was out and it was still kind of dark and I was about 6.30, I was out doing my exercise in the neighborhood and the neighborhood's got a lot of new homes and passed across the new home and I saw a workman who had already somehow got through the gates and he was in there getting ready to work on this new home and as he was there, he was parked his truck this way and I was coming this way and he was on the front seat of the truck getting something out of it. And as I jogged on by, I didn't know it, but after I got by, he popped out of the car. It just scared him to death because he wasn't expecting anybody. And he says, well, man, now I'm awake. And uh, I stopped for a moment and joked and apologized and yelled back. I said, well, you're going to be a better worker for it all day long, aren't you? It was like a cup of coffee to him. Well, this is what Mark chapter 13 is all about. It starts with a couple words like, watch out, you'll see Jesus mentioned, be alert, keep awake, and it ends the very same way, watch, don't fall asleep. As we look at this chapter, today we begin the passage, it's called the Olivet Discourse, you can find it in Matthew, you can find it in Mark, you can find it in Luke, and everyone has their own little just a flavor of how they see this. It is a difficult passage in some degrees, and the biblical scholars continue to argue about certain passages and things because it is filled with prophetic allusion and language, and there's all these kind of different ways you can go with it. Today, I believe you'll see my bent and what I believe, at least from the people that I've learned from, and what I believe that this passage, that it does have relevance to today, it does have relevance to the fall of Jerusalem, and it does have relevance to the times to come. When we look at prophecy, we know that we see through a glass darkly, and yet God gives us plenty of things to practically put in our lives. 
for ourselves and for our grandchildren. The topic has to do with eternity. It has to do with the future. Someone has aptly said, we should all be concerned about the future because we all have to spend the rest of our lives there. You will spend the rest of your life in eternity. And the second fact you need to know, and it's a very important fact, actually the most important fact is this, where you spend eternity, heaven or hell, depends on totally on what you believe and do with Jesus Christ. Let's look at Mark chapter 13, verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Jesus replied to the statement from one of the disciples, Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. And in fact, every one will be thrown down. Jesus and his disciples were leaving the temple area. This was the second Jewish temple. First King Solomon built, you remember, had been destroyed. This was a temple that King Herod decided to get involved in. King Herod loved stones. He loved building. He loved magnificent-sized buildings. So King Herod the Great is involved in working on this building. In fact, when Jesus is there with the disciples, it's in the middle of a reconstruction remodeling program. Wouldn't be finished for around 30-some years, middle of 60, 65, 64, somewhere in that area, it would finally be finished. The disciples looking at this noticed the magnificence of the building. The temple was very basic, and this is the building where Jesus was, and the disciples go and they look at that and go, hey, cool. Look at the massiveness of this building. This is enormous. And it was beautiful. Architecturally, it was one of the great things of the world, a must-see. It was something that every traveler would want to come into town and take a look at, the kings included. It had these many huge white stones, and some of them measured, think about this, a stone, 40 by 12 by 18. One stone, 40 feet weighing several tons, hundreds of tons. Now, when you go to Israel, we get to go down and we get to see some of these and one of these particular stones. And when you look at it, you wonder, number one, how did they get it there that big? Secondly, you wonder when you look at it, because the stones were hewed out of quarry, this Jerusalem stone, there was no way, they didn't have any mortar. They were just cut perfectly and they just fit into place. Josephus tells us, that these stones were polished. And also we know that they were decorated with gold in many different places. And this gold was so spectacular that on a day when the sun was bright, you had to put your shades on to look at the temple because it just actually beamed into your eyes. Well, when Jesus made this statement about it being destroyed, the disciples were walking out of this massive place. And you can't see the people, but the people would be like little ants in your picture. As they were walking out of this, to the Jew, the temple was magnificent and it was significant. It was absolutely one of those things that was going to be stable and permanent forever. I mean, when you look at it, what could ever happen to it? And it was also significant because God's spirit was inside. So what we see is, Jesus makes a statement, the disciples are looking at this and saying, how could this spiritual, magnificent wonder of the world ever be completely destroyed? That doesn't make sense, Jesus. 
It was a shock to the disciples. They were probably saying in their own way, you're kidding. There must be a spiritual application to this. That building couldn't be destroyed. I have seven things for you to write this morning. The first one is this. Keep focused on eternal values. The world, this world, the world we live in, is temporary. Now we know from history, in the year 70 AD, Titus came in and attacked successfully the city of Jerusalem. And he ordered initially the temple to be preserved because it was a wonder of the world. But during this time, some of the soldiers, Titus, became drunk. And they started firing fiery darts at this temple. It caught fire and two things specifically happened. The first thing that happened was there was many Jews that had run inside the temple area for protection. They were actually cremated in the fire, alive. The second thing that happened is very interesting. You remember the gold you saw, the gold on the peaks and the, the stones and whatever. As these flaming arrows hit the stones, the place just caught all on fire. Not only were those people cremated, but the hot fires melted the gold. And it just began to run down these massive stones. When Titus saw this, he said to the people, just destroy the area. It's already been destroyed. Its beauty is gone. Just, just raise it right down to the ground. Just, just get rid of the temple. Well, you guessed it. If you were a soldier in those days and you were destroying the temple stone by stone, what would you be looking for as you went to each stone? Is it hard to think about? Gold. So what happened? Every stone was overturned, looking to peel the gold from the stones. Jesus' prediction, 100% true. That which nobody thought could happen, and happened 40 years later. That brings us to two things. Number one, nothing in this life except people will survive into eternity. You say, well, I know that. Why'd you say that? Because often we forget it. If you look around at yourself this morning, nothing we have or own will survive the end of this world. The world you live in this morning, the world I live in, is temporary. It's in the process of passing away. Don't place your time and your value on these temporal things. We're always tempted to do that. We should have a light touch on the things of this world. You see, our citizenship, Peter tells us, is not here. It's in heaven. Don't get tangled up with all the things of the world. Yes, we have to have a home and a car and businesses and all those things, but don't place the value there. Spend your time with people, with family, friends. Every time I do a funeral, I, I look at the the individual in the casket, and I'm reminded again that life is temporary. And the only thing that matters is the people that are there, and the friends and the relatives. All of those things have value. Focus this morning as you look at your life on God and eternal things. Secondly, all of God's promises and predictions are true. Not just this one, not just this one, but all are true. Here's a very reassuring thing this morning. God knows the future of this world. Aren't you glad somebody does? And you know what's one better? God knows your future. He knows the beginning of your life to the end. And he's going to talk to the disciples about that 
they're wondering what in the world is going on. You see, what we think about when we look at prophecy, the disciples just couldn't imagine those stones doing that. And when we look at Mark 13, and especially when we do Daniel and Revelation, you're going to look and go, well, that can't happen. How could there be one rule order? I mean, one world order. How could there be one kind of money? How could there be one leader of the whole world? Some of you don't believe that can happen. Some of you are saying, well, it's pretty close already. I'll tell you what, it's going to happen. Because God's word says it's going to happen. It will happen. The disciples couldn't picture it then. They couldn't believe that that building could be turned around. Upside down, every stone, but it happened. Everything we study can happen. Don't limit God just because of your specific understanding. Look at verse 3. And as Jesus was sitting down on the, on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately. So here they are. They've crossed the Kidron Valley. They've moved up this, this Mount of Olives. And when you sit on the Mount of Olives, you can sit there and overlook the temple. So these four disciples are saying to Jesus, as Jesus is leaving, for, interesting, for the very last time, He's leaving the temple area because in about two days he's going to be killed. And the disciples are trying to put things together. They're sitting there and they're trying to say, well, what is happening here? Jesus said he's going to be killed. Now he says our temple is going to be destroyed. I don't understand this. When will all these things happen? Interesting, as Jesus sits on this mountain, Zechariah tells us the very mountain he's sitting at is the place where the Messiah will come back. So all these prophetic things are happening. Jesus knew it. Second thing I want you to write this morning is this. Don't be deceived. Trust God's word. Don't be deceived. Trust God's word. Look at verse 4. The disciples say, well, tell us, Jesus, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. The disciples actually asked two questions. Number one, when will these things happen? Notice it's plural. The destruction of our temple... And all these other things you've been talking about through the book of Mark and as we've been walking here, when will all these prophetic things happen? And secondly, are there any signs that are going to give us the understanding of the time frame we're talking about here? You see, when the disciples were looking at this and sitting on this mountain, they're sitting over there, they're sitting kind of on the mountain with Jesus and they're saying, well, here's what they're saying. Well, we know you're going to die somewhere here shortly. By the way, it's going to be two days. Well, then the temple's going to be destroyed. How many more days is that going to be? And then you're going to come back and the new kingdom's going to be here. From their viewpoint, they thought these three things were put together in maybe like a 10-day time frame. You see, they were looking for these Barbasol signs, you know, getting closer and getting closer and getting closer. If you know what that joke is, you're old and getting closer and closer. If you laughed, you knew. What it means is they're saying, you're going to die the temple's going to be destroyed. The kingdom of God is coming in brand new. When are these going to happen? Give us the time. Man, we want to know the timing of this that's going to happen. That brings us to a very important point. There are some of you this morning when we talk about eschatological things, the end times, eschatology, you're an enthusiast. I mean, you love it. You get every Hal Lindsey book and whatever. You've been reading it all. Others of you say, esca what? What, was that a scab on your arm? What is that? Esca what? 
Well, it just means end time things. And, and you're not really too concerned about end time things. Well, you'll find myself, I try to maintain a balance in that area. When we talk about today and when we talk about Daniel and Revelation, some of you need to realize what Jesus is going to say to the disciples here. Don't be too concerned. Don't spend all your time with dates. Some of you need to, because you're on the other end and you're unbalanced, Jesus is going to say to you, you need to watch out. We're living in the last days. You need to pay attention. So we have both kind of groups of people here this morning. And I found a commentator this week, and I loved his comment. Here's what he says. The disciples, like most of us today, are concerned about the wrong things. They wish to know information which will be of no real benefit to them largely to satisfy their own curiosity. Get this. Jesus is much more interested in their conduct today than their curiosity. And so he virtually avoids their questions. Doesn't give them dates. But he teaches them instead what they needed to know, how they should conduct themselves in the light of the destruction of Jerusalem and a second coming. So that's what I want to say to you this morning. When we go through these things, don't be, it's fine to be interested in dates and all the little ins and outs. That's fine. And that may be your hobby, whatever. Don't be dead in that area. Don't just put all your effort there. You'll notice Jesus does not answer their questions. What he's going to say to them is this. You don't have a clue about the dates. You're not even going to be alive when most of this happens. I want you to know how to live today. And then you can worry about the other things. So what we're going to find as Jesus goes through here, he doesn't say, well, get your charts out. Here we go. It's going to be here and here and here because we're 2,000 years from it. See, they thought Jesus' death, the destruction of the temple, and the coming kingdom was all going to happen in a 10-day period. Jesus' death happened in two days. The destruction happened 40 years later. And they're still waiting for the kingdom. Their dates were wrong. So Jesus says, would it make any difference when I tell you? So Jesus, if you go back to verse 5, says something very important. He says, watch out. Take heed. For what? What does he want to alert them to? One thing. Deception. Deception. Who is the greatest deceiver? The Bible tells us Satan's a great deceiver. Satan is a deceiver, and he wanted Jesus' people just to be looking for signs and looking for this and looking for that. And Jesus says, I'm not even going there with the signs, but here is a couple signs, not date-related, but signs that you can think about in your life to show you how you should live today. And the first one he mentions is this. Look at verse 6 again. Many will come in my name claiming I am he, and they will be laughed off, blown off. No, they'll what? Deceive many. So Jesus says there are going to be coming people that, number one, they're going to come and they're going to say, I'm the Christ. Have we ever seen that in our world? We've seen many. And in a small way, of course, even in Jesus' time, we saw that. Anybody remember a man named Jim Jones? David Koresh? Sung Myung Moon, you remember him? People claiming to be the leader. Were any people deceived with those three specific people? Yes. So Jesus says there's going to be those, and we know the Antichrist is coming and all those things that we'll talk about more as we go through there. But he says that's going to happen. But there's another area I want to stop you to think about. If a person came in here this morning and says, I'm the Christ, I don't believe probably anybody in this room would say, oh yeah, you're the Christ. 
I don't believe we would be deceived like that. Now, we know the Jews are going to be deceived like that in the end time. But I don't believe we would be deceived. How do we get deceived today? Here's how we get deceived today. Write it down. Religious deception. Religious deception. You see, religious deception comes in the, in the cloak of being religious. It's a good thing. Now, when Satan deceives, he doesn't come just with a joke. Actually, he comes as a sheep. In here, he looks like a sheep, but the Bible says inside he's a wolf. So outwardly, he deceives us. It's a true deception. We're, we're just taken back. So what do you mean, Pastor Mark, by religious deception? Well, here's what it is. There are people standing behind pulpits today across our world who say to you, to professing believers, you can accept the lifestyle you're living in. A lifestyle that goes directly against the Word of God. It's okay. You can believe in it. It's all right. You don't have to trust this. The thing that you're doing is fine. And people in those lifestyles are sitting out there going, Phew. somebody says it's okay. And they're being deceived. You say, well, that's not happening in our world. Oh, yes, it is. And let me just stop you a moment and ask you to think about a couple things. Up in the Chicago area, a very same thing happened. A certain pastor of a, a denominational church is doing certain things in the church. I'm not going to go there. It's not, the specific thing isn't important. But now the denomination is going to try to remove him. Because here's what he says. The lifestyle that you're living, the thing that you're living, which is spoken of directly by sin in the Bible, you can go ahead and get away with it. It's not a problem. God, it's not a problem today. You can, you can do it. It's not, an, it's not an issue. You can do it. So what happens? You say, well, that's... Well, that's just a few people, but here's what happens. That pastor influences other people in his congregation. And so we take a, a few young guys here, young and young and real young. And these guys listen, and they begin to understand that teaching. Then they want to go to seminary, and they head off to seminary. They become pastors. In that seminary, we have many professors who now teach that very same thing. Many of our seminaries... Probably the majority of our seminaries in the United States don't believe this is all the Word of God. The majority. So, you say, well, what, what could happen then with that kind of teaching the next generation? Do you have any clue? We will be the exception. By the way, we're already the exception. That's been happening for generations. And what you find today is tremendous religious deception. You say, well, that can't be happening. Yes, it is happening. You just start reading, and you'll find that many people, we have the Jesus Seminar today, go through and they say, well, in those first four books, Jesus didn't say these things. Maybe 5% of those things Jesus said, the rest are just man's ideas. Well, where are you going to start and stop? Where are you going to make that decision? You God? So you either take it all or you take it none. Now, let me show you a clue how to help yourself so that you don't get deceived. And the first thing, basically, to keep yourself from being deceived is this. You must base everything you hear and read, and listen to, and talk about on the Word of God. Everything that goes through, that comes into my life, I filter it through the Bible. If the Bible says it's wrong, guess what? Not too difficult, is it? It's just wrong. If it says it's okay, it's okay. And that's the way you live your life. Simple, not difficult, very simple. In today's message from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, we heard about how the disciples marveled about the impressive buildings they saw in Jerusalem. Jesus warned them that not one stone would be left there, 
and 40 years later the building was gone. Pastor Mark reminded us to keep our focus on eternal things, that everything here is temporary. Nothing in this life will go with us into eternity. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. The messages that you hear each day here on Lessons for Living were produced from messages that Pastor Mark shared at the main campus in Melbourne. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Or log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the link to the church website. Now, the next time you join us here on Lessons for Living, we will hear Jesus' warning about signs and deceptions that will occur in the end times. Jesus will reassure the disciples not to be alarmed, but prepared. Persecution will become very personal, not just disdain directed at Christians as a whole, but toward individual believers. Pastor Mark will encourage followers of Christ to stand strong in his strength. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Palmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right. 